This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Last week, we began this sermon series on worship, on what it means to be in worship together, on what it means that we would pause each and every week to come together to practice prayer and praise and fellowship and breaking bread and sacrament, communion and baptism. How those things seek to shape and transform us from the inside out. And last week we started with this conversation about what it looks to be transformed truly from the inside. How God would transform us from our most vulnerable and intimate places that we would bring our true selves to this place of worship. Not the happy Christian face or the church face that we can so often bring through these walls. The the Walmart receiving line, as I talked about it last week, where someone asks you how you're doing and your response is fine, fine. But that we would bring the true nature of our hearts. And I confess to you last week that I have the best Christian face, church face around. I'm really great at it. I am. And my prayer for myself is that I would become worse. Is that it would become harder for me to bring that into these places and into these spaces. And this morning is is one of those times. Because while we have had a sermon prepared about baptism and about how God transforms our identity and praise the Lord that the Holy Spirit works in powerful ways because I believe that that is such an appropriate sermon for this time. I come to you with a heavy heart. Indeed, many of us might be coming this morning with heavy hearts for many reasons. But as I'm sure all of us are aware We live in a time where we turn on the news, and my God, if it just doesn't make you sad, and it really doesn't matter what day it is, it really doesn't matter what day it is, I feel like I turn on the news and there's some new story, there's some new conflict, there's some new war, there's some new comment that someone made, and there's all of these opinions and all of these everything coming at us from everywhere. And it's like I said earlier, you know, the presence of the Holy Spirit is not contingent on circumstances, but sometimes it is hard to find. Sometimes it is hard to find. And even this weekend as I was experiencing from afar the events that we know have been happening in in Charlottesville, Virginia, I have struggled with what it means to be a people of God in a world that sometimes looks like that. In a world that sometimes looks like that. And like many of you, perhaps, if you, if you follow different events occurring on, on social media or however through the news, there's article, there's tweets, there's everything that's written from every possible angle. And, and one that really just impacted my spirit, it was very simple. It said, dear children, I'm sorry. It's not supposed to be this way. Dear children, I'm sorry. It's not supposed to be this way. 
And it made me think of a scripture from Matthew chapter 7 that I want to read for us this morning. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. Sorry to think about my daughter, about what it meant for me to hold her when she was born. To think about all the dreams and aspirations I might have had for her and for her life as she grew up. And now on the eve of having a son, due in just nine, nine days or so, 12, 12 days. Sorry, Amy. Amy's right there. <laughs> Amy's more aware of this, yes. <laughs> Praise the Lord. thought about what gifts I'm giving her. Am I giving her bread and fish? Or am I giving her stones and snakes? What type of gifts will our community hand down to her and people in her generation? Will we give bread and fish or stones and snakes? Whatever those things may look like, whether we give hatred instead of love, whether we give anger instead of peace and patience, whether we give racism instead of a hope to love all. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And what was an incredibly formational thing for me to find out is that that's a phrase, this, this golden rule as we call it, is something that is not just specific to Jesus and our Bible. I mean, it's been around for a really, really, really long time. And in Jesus' day, the actual like more popular way to understand the golden rule was actually in its prohibitive form, meaning do not do to others, which you would not want them to do to you. But Jesus flips this around. Instead of just, hey, don't do anything that you wouldn't want someone to do to you, Jesus says, actively do. Actively do to others what you would have them do to you. The posture of the gospel is this, arms extended, open wide. This is the posture Jesus took to show us love. You can't proclaim this gospel and stand like this. You can't proclaim this and stand like this. Racism has no place in the gospel. What we are seeing in Charlottesville, Nazi flags, Ku Klux Klan regalia, 
No place in the gospel. There is no place for it. And our response is it here? Or is it here? How we respond matters. I want my daughter to receive this gift. That she would grow to this kind of spirit. And not this. And many times this is how I stand. I stand in silence with my arms crossed. Praying to God someone will take care of it. But what gifts do we want to hand down to our children? Stones and snakes, or bread and fish and nourishment, and knowing that we serve a God who is good and who loves us and who desires to bring us all in, all in, I can't stress that enough, all in to his kingdom. And praise the Lord that we establish rhythms that remind us of how we are truly to be identified. We are the body of Christ. We are identified by one thing, and that is that we are children of God. And as children of God, As children of God, what we then reflect to the world greatly matters because when people see us, they see a reflection of God. They see a reflection of God for better or for worse. For better or for worse. We've established these rhythms and we've come together to ask these questions of, you know, why do we come to worship? What kind of transformative impact might it actually have on our lives and on our community? And there are a couple places where we see the importance of setting aside time to come together, um, be made very clear in Scripture. One of those places is where we're going to look at in Scripture this morning. We're going to be in the book of Exodus, chapter 20. If you have your Bible, if you have a physical Bible, if you have a digital Bible app, you can flip, click, swipe, whatever it is, on over to Exodus chapter 20. This morning we're going to start at verse 8. This morning we're going to start at verse 8. As we seek to engage in this topic of why we worship and how worship might seek to transform who we are and our identity. We're in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Pretty famous. Pretty famous scripture. Maybe you've heard of them. And right here in verse 8, we receive this command. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. 
You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Right here, we're told that from the very beginning, God established this rhythm of setting aside a day to be made holy. Later on in Scripture, in the book of Acts, we're reminded of this as we see the birth of the church. Acts chapter 2 is one of my favorite chapters in Scripture. We see the coming of the Holy Spirit The disciples who are now no longer just disciples, they're now apostles. So disciples being learners, apostles being messengers, they've made this transition. They've gone through their learning season and now they are teaching, now they are preaching the gospel and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they are preaching the gospel such as they have never been able to do before. And it says that in that time they devoted themselves to praying to breaking bread together, to selling all their possessions and worshiping the Lord together. And it says that on that day, 3,000 people were baptized and came to the Lord. And as we see those rhythms, both from the very beginning, remember the Sabbath, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, And from this story in the book of Acts where we are told about these people who have these practices of prayer and fellowship and thanksgiving, we're reminded constantly that these practices are important, that they are here to shape who we are. And it's in this subject of baptism that I want to spend the rest of our time today, because today is a beautiful day for baptism. This morning, we're going to baptize the wonderful Leah Grace. Leah Grace, she will be baptized and welcomed into this family of God. We believe that baptism is that entry point for us into God's kingdom and serves as a reminder that God makes a claim on our life even before we can claim God for ourselves, that God has made a claim in our life. And as we come into that relationship with God, it should serve to transform and shape us. So I'm going to go back now. I'm going to strive to show us some of the ways that God impacts who we are and how we orient our lives around this day where we come together. This is back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. 
For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. First thing. God is God, and we are not. It's pretty simple. Praise the Lord, too. That'd be a hard job. God is God, and we are not. But how often do we make gods and idols out of things that don't have the capacity to hold that title? And it messes us up. It messes us up. We make idols out of ourselves at times with our pride, with our arrogance. We make idols out of our jobs, sometimes such that that we become slaves to our work. We make idols out of our relationships sometimes. We make idols out of nations. We forget that God has said, I am God, and you shall have no other gods before me. And so right here at the very beginning, we are told that the primary identity marker on our life is God. We are God's children. And as God's children... We should have a rhythm of setting aside time to reorient our entire life around that truth. And so we come together in this space to worship and to pray. And if we come together to worship and to pray, then not just how we are in relationship with God should be affected, but also how we are in relationship with each other. And that's really how the Ten Commandments are broken out. You've got relationship with God. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols of anything. You shall not take my name in vain. You have a command to set aside a day to remember these things. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. You won't work. Not even your sons or daughters can work. Not even... Your slaves can work. Not even the foreigners in your land can work. Not even your animals can work. Nothing gets to work. Everything reorients around this truth that God is ultimately God. And then that shifts outward. So we have honor your father and your mother. If we're reorienting our lives around this truth that God is God, and we're remembering that, then our relationships with people change. Our relationships with our parents change. You shall not murder. Our relationship with violence and retribution changes. You shall not commit adultery. Our relationship with our spouses change. You shall not steal. 
our relationships with our workplaces and socioeconomics changes. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Truth becomes primary for us. And finally, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his donkey. Our desires change. Our desires change. And all of that change and all of that reorienting is caught up in this moment where we are brought together and we are reminded through this sacrament of baptism that God has made this claim on us. God has said, you are my son. You are my daughter. And so this morning when we, when we baptize Leah, we believe that there are three primary things that are happening. First, we believe that God is making a claim on Leah's life and God is promising Leah that she is a daughter of his, that she does not have to be bound by the things of this world, that she has freedom from all the things that would seek to identify her outside of the bound, that she is a daughter of God. Second, we as a church make a promise to Leah and a promise to each other that we will model what it is to be children of God together that we would model that for Leah and for each other. And finally, we are all reminded that we are God's children too. And as we hear the water poured, we're reminded that we are continually being washed by the grace of God. That God is enveloping us in his love, washing us of our sin, washing us of our iniquity, and giving us a space to be faithful children. So this morning, I have a challenge. What is it that you need washed away today? What is it that you need to be reminded of that God has given you grace for? What things are identifying you that you know are not in line with what it means to be a child of God. And then last week, I asked this question as we came to the table of communion. I said, which you are you bringing to the table? And today I would ask, as we are children of God, Which you are you reflecting to the world? Which you are you reflecting to the world? Is it a you that is a child of God that has been claimed by God and that seeks to embody the love of God again? Arms open wide. Arms open wide. Or is it something else? Invite the grace of God in today, my friends.
Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks this morning for your love and for your presence. At times it is difficult to see where you are. Help us to know that you are anyway. Help us to know that you are present. Help us to know that you love us, that you love our community, that you love our world. Help us to be people who seek to give gifts of bread and fish and not gifts of stone and snake. We pray that all in your son's name. Amen. Amen.